0: as we walk past this super racist statue. And he said, oh, I wasn't sure if you were gonna say anything. And I thought to, but then I thought, you know, man, don't say anything, keep it professional. And I said, I think that's the problem that we're equating professionalism with the status quo and not calling out racist, sexist behaviors and actions. And that we pretend that that's, that, again, that neutral, it's somehow more professional. And he just looks at me and gives me this high five. He goes, and that's why you're my girl and why I want to work with you.
1: Building a successful real estate career requires you to adapt, pivot, and constantly master new skills.
2: We're Katie and Daniel Steinfeld. We've built our own innovative brokerage. And in this podcast, we've assembled actionable tips and strategies that you can implement to take your business to its maximum potential.
1: It's time to level up.
2: Level right. Hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of Level Up. Today we are with a very special guest, Dr. Laura Morlock. Uh, is here with us today. We'll give her a bit of an introduction and then we're really excited to get into this conversation. So Laura is a realtor with Remax AB Realty in Stratford specializing in historic and distinctive properties, helping people relocate to the magical city of Stratford and leading sales at the new Ridgeview Homes Nightbridge development in the city. Her business is built to empower women through real estate, both those within the industry and those we serve. Before she began her career in real estate, she earned her PhD in diversity, gender, and dress from the University of Waterloo, where she focused on how women's bodies are interpreted and debated in Canadian public spaces through the clothes they wear. Laura still teaches at Toronto Metropolitan University School of Fashion, writes and gives talks on these subjects. And thank you, Laura, for coming. We're so excited to have you.
0: Oh, thank you so much for having me on. I mean, I love you both and I've loved your podcast for a long time.
2: (laughs) Thank you very much. And we had Laura join us for our team meeting, uh, our brokerage team meeting last week. Um, And the topic we're discussing today is um, centering around diversity, more specifically on gender um, and creating boundaries in the real estate industry as female realtors. And we couldn't think of a better person to have come on and talk to us about this. So we really appreciate your time.
0: Oh, I'm just so excited to talk about it. It's like, you know, the intersection of all my favorite topics, pretty much. All <laughs> <laughs> coming together. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. So nice. We wanted you twice.
0: <laughs> That's right. Uh, an academic realtor, so nice. You had to talk to her twice. Yeah, right. exactly.
1: Well, that's it. There's there's just, there's so many things to unpack, but I think just really high level, Um, maybe if we dive in a bit to just the work, like where the intersection was and you got into real estate. And like Katie said, I mean, you specialize in this space as well as your area, but like, where have you seen, I guess, both the challenges and opportunities that brought you to this place and that you're able to, Make what you know a service to the community that you serve and everybody who's listening to you right now as well.
0: Oh my gosh, what a great question because it's both the challenges and opportunities. It's like we have a three hour podcast here, right? Like, you know, we can we can talk. Like Rogan. Yeah. I need three out. Yeah, 10. that's right. I need three hours to answer this one question and then we can go on to the second one. So <laughs> um I'll talk about challenges first. So um coming from the academic world the academic world is by no means perfect you know it's full of people and people have unconscious biases and conscious biases and all the rest but it is a space where it is assumed that you believe in gender equity racial equity minoritized equity and that you are actively working to create safer spaces in your classrooms on your committees and hiring you know all of that so by no means perfect but that's just sort of a given baseline, baseline that you're coming from. And then as soon as I started taking real estate courses, there were so many little and big things I noticed immediately that were honestly shocking to me. Now, like I know that I'd spent my adult life in the academic world, but I also do live in the real world. And I worked with the public a lot in my work. So, you know, it wasn't that I didn't know that sexism exists in the real world. I was just a little shocked to encounter it so blatantly in professional spaces uh, like real estate boardrooms and and course materials. So micro things like how, um, you know, when people speak in terms of scripts and Mr. and Mrs. Seller, you know, mm-hmm. A, that is so heteronormative to assume that a couple is a man and a woman to start with, yeah. B, I am in a heterosexual marriage and I'm not Mrs. I mean, I'm doctor and I do enjoy saying that, but <laughs> but you know, I don't have the same last name as my husband. And a lot of women don't have the same last name as their husbands anymore. Like this is 2023, <laughs> what, year, what year are you in 2023? <laughs> and so it's not that it's wrong to call a couple Mr and Mrs, whatever, you know, uh, Peterson. It is wrong to assume that couple means hetero and that a married spouse goes by Mrs. And that's very outdated thinking, really. Um, but that's a micro thing, right? Like these are the little little um, cues that you encounter in talks. I would say sort of the, the middle of the road problems, challenges I was seeing, or blindness. Maybe that's a better way to put it. Um, missing, Missing things in your field of vision I was, I'm a researcher by nature. I love data. So of course, right as I was thinking of getting into real estate, as I was beginning to study, I was just eating up as much information as I could. And I still do, but I was watching tons of keynote addresses and following all kinds of people on YouTube. And I was watching all these extremely successful top producing agents, particularly in the States, because that's where most of the content comes from, but definitely Canadians too. And my training for 15 years, was to look at who's in the room you know if someone if we're having conversations you never just take it for granted you you are always asking kind of bird's eye questions like who's at the table who's saying that what is their context of saying that and again it's not to have a negative slant on any it's just you always need to kind of look behind what's right in front of you as an academic when you're researching So I'm looking at all of these people giving these talks and all of them giving this message of this is the formula to being a millionaire. This is the formula to being a seven figure earning realtor. This is the formula to being top in sales. And they're going through their day and they're going through this. And then how many of them end with, if I can do it, trust me, you can do it. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe in working very hard. I'm a very competitive agent It's a huge part of why I love real estate. But I'm looking at it going, how odd. That all of these people saying this are white men. Are you saying that female agents? There are a few female agents that were giving these talks, and there are many agents, female agents, who have been successful. I'm not saying they're not. But um, if I can do it, you can do it. Well, how come all the eyes in this sample group are white men? And when people are asked in these podcasts, like, yeah, I mean, you know, like this whole hustle culture, and it's like, you know, why don't you think these other agents do it? And so oh, they don't want it enough. you know. They're not working hard enough. They're just not willing to pull up and do the grit. And the gender you know, activist academic in my brain immediately goes, is that what you think? That black single female moms in Chicago who are realtors don't work as hard as you do, don't want it as badly as you do, don't have the discipline that you do. So when I look at a field like that and I see that the vast majority of the people giving these talks, hosting these channels, hosting these conventions, are white men. Mm -hmm. My question immediately becomes, why? What are the barriers that are preventing agents, male agents of color who are, they're there on the stage too, but not in as high degree, um, female agents of color. And I started tracking this because I can't help it. I'm a nerd through and through. Mm -hmm. And the vast majority are white men, seconded by men of color, followed Mm -hmm. by white women and a very distant fourth are women of color on those real estate stages so that's sort of that middle of the road it's not that no one is saying oh we don't want you know a latina agent on the stage talking it's like well who are the who are the agents that make these numbers oh they're these people oh those people are men oh those are white men mostly why what are the barriers that exist that are holding everybody else back in extra ways. And then lastly, I would say the more specific, direct um, things that shocked me, they didn't shock me because that is how the business world looks like. That's not just none of this is just real estate. You know, that is. Yeah. Look at Fortune 500 companies like that's the business world. But sitting in a meeting and hearing female agents referred to actually the video of uh, female agents referred to as skirts. And hearing um, in a a brokerage meeting, an older gentleman was just referencing that someone who was working with him chose to work with him and explained to him, um, you know, in this newspaper ad, there were a lot of pretty faces, but I decided what I really needed was experience. And that baseline assumption that the male face, you know, it was was presented as this joke, like, oh, he has an ugly mug, ha, 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 this older guy. But that baseline assumption was that pretty, i.e. female, doesn't equal experience, whereas older man, older white man in this case, does equal experience. And the client had zero idea how long anybody in the in that ad had been in real estate. He didn't know if the 35-year-old woman had been an agent for 15 years and this man in his 50s had been an agent for four months. It was just, it's that baseline assumption of default. Who has the expertise? Who do we assume to hold expertise? without consciously thinking about it yeah so it's a long answer to your question but i kept it under three hours yeah. <laughs> oh, oh that was job. just the challenges you asked me about the benefits <laughs> too which yeah. is really important <laughs> we should go to that because that's what i build my business on too but oh yeah just like the challenges
2: <laughs> yeah no i uh it it's it's such a hard thing and, and that awareness piece i think for for everybody is really important and I know when we were talking in our brokerage meeting it was we we talked about beforehand like do we just have the women talking about it or do we bring the men into the conversation as well because you know we can talk all we want or or make these um we notice these things and point them out as we go along in our lives, because it happens all the time to us. Um, But it's, we really need allies, both male and female. And that was another conversation as well. That was really interesting that I'd love to have your take on is just also, you know, it's, it doesn't, it's not just men that make these assumptions. It's everyone, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So what's how, like, how do you, Find challenges in that because I think that's a big assumption a lot of times. Like, oh, it's it's always these white men that are making these assumptions, but
0: (laughs) it's everybody, a hundred percent. And I'm really glad you highlighted that because, so, um, you know, kind of putting on the academic lecture hall hat just a little bit more. And so, sorry, but we talk about terms of the patriarchy, right? The system as it exists, which prioritizes um, men as the basically what it means is men are the baseline that if you are you are a man that means white man but if you are uh you know it's doctor or it's female doctor or it's oh i have this friend oh i have this black friend like it's this sort of baseline assumption that the um so-called neutral human is the white straight male and anything else requires a modifier a female scientist a gay politician a black friend you know these things okay so that's the baseline of the patriarchy and one of the things that's really important to understand is that patriarchy harms everybody. It doesn't just harm women. It's extremely catastrophically damaging to men. I highly recommend everybody watch the mask, the mask we live in the mask. I wear, I think it's the mask we live in.
1: Say um, not the mask that won't teach people. Too no, much that's
0: much. different. Yeah. Jim Carrey <laughs> is great, but it's going to teach different things. <laughs> yeah. But it's talking about the messages that young boys and young men are getting and how Harmful they are to their mental health their physical health to all these things, so it is not by any means a one way street. Secondly, women absorb the messaging too. it's not like we are born with some filter over our ears. That makes us recognize that the default shouldn't be white and male, we have to learn that and you know people male and female and of all genders do you know into and experience things but something that I shared in um, our the brokerage meeting with you was that I can say in my own experience in grad school especially the people who were the most supportive of me had my back and made sure I graduated were men white straight men for that matter Um, and the people who made my life really more challenging and made it really hard to graduate and made me question whether or not I belong there were without exception, women. And Mm -hmm. I'm talking about like senior scholars. Now, I also had amazing female faculty who supported me. I'm not, you know, 100%, but the point is that women have absorbed the exact same, when I say the exact same messaging, I don't mean about themselves, I mean the exact same narrative as young men have. And as a result, and as a result, they absolutely perpetuate the exact same stereotypes microaggressions assumptions biases it is not like women don't hold racist assumptions or sexist assumptions it is not like because you're a woman you can't be sexist you know which is actually sexist in and of itself to assume that women Mm. are all nurturing and all enlightened or you know any of it and likewise um, what we see happen is When there isn't enough space in the room and it doesn't feel like there's going to be more space. The people in this case women that we're talking about often end up going after each other rather than after the men because they want to protect their spot in the room and this is almost entirely subconscious but they will go after other women they will see other women coming up as a threat because there aren't enough slices of this pie and i worked my butt off to get this pie there's also an entitlement of i went through this brutality of a system you have to too to earn your spot here and they also um want to feel accepted with their male colleagues, the, I'm not like other girls, I'm one of the guys, you know, Mm -hmm. that's supposed to be a real positive. I'm not like other girls is a positive statement. Why is that a positive statement? Like what a horrible way to align ourselves, but we do it and we say it because there doesn't feel like I can stay in the room. If I soften, if I'm welcoming, if I let her in, I might lose my spot or I might not be seen as strong.
2: Yeah. And I mean, I've done that myself through the years. Like I'll look at women that walk into the room and I'm like, like, you know, like my my immediate yeah. reaction, it's so subconscious. Like I'm not even thinking about why I'm reacting that way. But, you know, when you start taking notice, you're like, oh my gosh, like this is mm-hmm. how I've been like taught to act yeah. with other women in the room. And it's horrible. So you're right. Like it can be such a challenge when you don't feel like you're supported with the same people that you know you'd, you'd figure you'd you'd be getting support from those people and that could be a really tough thing a tough pill to swallow
0: I think it also points to the allyship that you were talking about and the importance of it and um I mean it's dangerous territory I'm not comparing women to dogs okay I love dogs I'd be happy to compare it to a dog but um I often think about I have a really large dog and when she was a puppy and we were in training um I was talking with our trainer who I did years of training with and she said she's never in Thirty years of training been bitten by a large dog she's always bitten by small dogs and i was like what <laughs> you know, and she said it's because big dogs are sure of themselves they know they're big they don't have the need to prove it to anybody so the little dogs especially the way that we treat little dogs um, makes them insecure and so they feel the need to lash out to protect themselves and i think that that is why <laughs> I think that's why male allyship is so important in one way, because a lot of these straight white men, um, and I don't say that in any way negatively, like one of our first conversations you and I ever had, Katie, you know, we were joking, like, I'm very fond of straight white men. I'm married to one. My entire family <laughs> is full of them, you know? It's, yeah. it's not, there's another one here on the call with us who's a lovely human being. Um, wow. <laughs> but when you have that position of comfort, I think a big part of why my male senior faculty were so supportive of me is because they didn't feel threatened by me at all and not in a negative way like they, they they saw me in a positive light, but I mean, they had the the confidence in themselves and in their position to have no qualms about making sure that I got the grant or got the opportunities, you know, and I think that when we can help men see that we are all fish and water, and now let's look at the water and let's not just assume that this is how everybody lives and the way it should be. They can often tap into going, oh, okay, because we need the male allies to make things change. I always say women would never have gotten the vote if male politicians hadn't voted to give women the vote. So likewise, we need our male friends to call out sexist jokes, to say, are there any women on this panel? Cause I'm not gonna sit on a mantle, which is a panel of only men, you know? Um, are, okay. how much are you getting paid? Because I'm getting paid, This, you know, when men lean into this too. Oh, man, like sky's the oh. limit.
1: Oh, let, let me lean into it then a bit. <laughs> um, yes, please do. I, I mean, I totally agree with the and I guess it's not every case, but the fact that people who are threatened or feel threatened are more likely to get on the defensive or in some cases an offensive mm-hmm. um, in such a way that it can be detrimental to what we're trying to achieve here on the whole. And so one of those, maybe this is ageism on my part, but where do you see, like you you mentioned, you know, senior women who are making things difficult for you because maybe mm-hmm. they were threatened by somebody who's very capable and like them. And for a lot of people who are older, they get threatened by the new young bucks coming in who are going to take right. over. Um, what's the female version of a buck, a doe? I'm saying young buck, (laughs)
0: um,
1: but you know what I mean? So it was Mm -hmm. the same thing, even in, in a previous life, I worked for a football team, which you can imagine is a very male testosterone driven environment. And by the way, our absolute number one best salesperson of all time was an indigenous woman for what it's worth. But when she entered, it was difficult from the older folks. I feel like there is still and And it's apparent, like you said, people are being taught, and younger people are being brought up, which is very dangerous according to these uh, these mindsets that need to shift. But is the challenge right now focusing on the younger, and I use younger loosely, like let's say the generation that isn't older? which is also subject to interpretation.
0: It, it changes it, every year with my birthday, I find. Well, that's yeah, it. Yeah. I, mean, I, I, I
1: say that still thinking I'm a young person, but it's all subject to who's listening to me and what yeah. they think. But I, I guess as, as we try to take advantage of these opportunities to change the conversation and to build people's awareness, the focus should be everywhere, but do you find that mm-hmm. it's more effective to focus on those who aren't kind of the people who have been brought up for 60, 70 years thinking such and focusing on younger folks? Or is that the wrong way to look at it and we need to be going to these people who might really be perpetuating things from the old age down to everybody else?
0: That is such an interesting question and I don't think there's a straightforward answer. I definitely see differences in the groups that I speak with to the questions that they have, to the concerns that they have, Um, particularly because in my academic work in that life, I deal with much more controversial topics like uh, Muslim women's niqab and debates over the niqab or the hijab and the questions and statements that, um, like one place that I gave a few public lectures, University of Guelph holds this, um, I forget the name of it, but it's a series for seniors to take in lectures. Um, Mm -hmm. And then, at the University of Waterloo, my class is full of students anywhere from 18 years old to 70 years old. At Toronto Metropolitan University, without exception, all of my students are Gen Z. And one of the challenges I've always found in giving, say something like this a podcast, it's harder because I'm not sure who's going to listen to it. And I have different conversations to have with a downtown Toronto queer black feminist activist than I do with a senior white Christian seventh generation Canadian in a small farming community in Southern Ontario. To be clear, that doesn't mean that one is more open-minded than the other because we leftist progressives can be absolutely as close-minded as the most conservative people. Um, it's what I'm pushing them. On. I always push people that I talk to and it's which areas I'm pushing them on to consider. And I would say that Gen Z fascinates me. All of my students and both my kids are teenagers and they're all Gen Z and they're just they're going to sort the whole gender thing out for us. I mean, yeah. not, but I mean I, they just, I agree with that. Yeah. You know, it seems like they they've just,
1: got it figured out a little better than most other people do so far.
0: Seriously, and now in human rights movements, you always see the pendulum swing And Mm -hmm. so it goes from this extreme to this extreme, and it takes a while before you can have nuanced conversations here, which is why I say if I'm talking to people over here or people over here, I'm working Mm -hmm. on making both of them see things differently than they take for granted. But it's it's different conversations. Likewise, I absolutely have um, people who are 50 plus, 60 plus and 70 plus who are the most gender forward, gender activists, progressive. And many, I'm almost even gonna say most, but I think about that, are white men. So it's not a default. However, um, I think it has to be a holistic answer. I mean, there's the macro of how we deal with these issues and it can be anything from legislation to ensuring that you know, people have a legal spot at the table, but it's also what really affects change. And we see this. <laughs> a big part of my um, my studies is in history of human rights in case you can't tell and what we've seen over the centuries what really makes change is organic relationship you know and like you're talking about if if a black woman goes into a male change room to talk to them about male allyship and feminism. In the Canadian context, and I, I do want to say, because I know you have listeners across North America, the Canadian context is quantifiably different than the States mm-hmm. in a, in so many ways. We have different histories, we have different cultural mores, we respond differently when we disagree to something that American audiences do. And that's not to say one's better than the other, but they are different. So I'm talking in the Canadian context right now. And um, what I hear a lot is the audience will be polite. They will be, receptive they'll clap and they'll say thank you and that's the conversation whereas when it's a male ally in the room they will say things that they won't say they will ask questions that they won't ask of the black feminist yeah. woman because they don't want to seem sexist they don't want to seem yeah. like jerks but right. they don't know how to approach that which is why again we need male allies to in the change room while lacing up the hockey skates they do that joke's not funny and right and that's hard that is not an easy thing to do at all for anybody because you don't want to be that person you know and you don't want to start a fight and you don't want to you know all the rest but what we find is that when someone can actually bring themselves in that change room with their old friends that go back to when they were 10 years old say something as simple as dude that joke's not funny other men in the change room will come up to them later and say thank you for saying something i was uncomfortable like if there's 10 men in the room nine of them are uncomfortable but no one wants to be that guy you know yeah
2: It's so hard. It really is. And like, I I even notice it, like when uh, something racist is said, like, you know, it's like there's such a spectrum of responses you can have. And a lot of times I'll just chicken out and be like, you know, that was wrong, but I won't say it to their faces. And I, you know, feel bad off afterwards, but I think, you know, bringing it back to real estate, that's a challenge. I think, you know, whether you are, you know, a, a black or brown person or a woman, a lot of times these things are said, and we Mm -hmm. don't know how to react to them, especially if they're our own clients. Um, Because, you know, it's, it's a challenge. And it's, it seems very unfair when you're that person they're talking about, like, if somebody said a sexist, my client says a sexist thing to me. And, you know, I don't want to not, I don't want to lose the business. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I'm like, I don't want to work with this person, like they're Mm -hmm. sexist. So I know like it's such a personal decision, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, but what can you like, what kind of advice can you give people to handle those situations or just put themselves
0: more at ease? That is such a tricky question or rather such a tricky situation. And I do think that real estate leaves people particularly vulnerable in ways that other industries don't all, I'm not saying there are none others, but you know, um, and we have a friend and a colleague, And she's a black successful female Toronto realtor. And she told me when we were talking about this, she said, my race never mattered. I've lived in Toronto my whole life and never mattered until I became a realtor. Mm. And I've heard, you know, beginning in this, I want to know, like, who else is looking into this? Who's writing about this? Who's talking about this? And this was pre George Floyd. So it's happened more since then, but not great and not nuanced, Um, but what i found were youtube videos of white men or italian men saying well yeah you know people won't work with me because i'm white and this was american context again but you know mm-hmm. it is different for minoritized and racialized people in the space and the numbers don't lie on that and so yes i'm sure that there are male agents who someone didn't want to work with them because they were a man uh, or a white agent who someone didn't want to work with them because they were white racism exists and sexism exists it doesn't mean that white people or men are immune from mm. <laughs> you know prejudice but the the difference the quantifiable difference in threat and experiences in daily microaggressions just don't even come close to comparing just in quantifiable numbers so when you're experiencing that there's a difference between whether you are a bystander or you're the subject so if it's me and it's my client, for example, Um, I want to preface this by saying I agree 100% with what you said. It's a personal decision. Everyone has to determine for themselves, A, what they're willing to do for their business, B, where their own personal safety is, because that's something we haven't talked about yet, but that was a huge part of the red flag for me going into real estate. I'm learning all these things and I'm like, oh, where am I being taught about safety? Like, this was pre-pandemic, so it's like driving in a car, with a a male who's basically a stranger going into a house with a male who's a stranger. Like my father was a police officer and I just have like all these, you know, alarms going off about how dangerous the situations we put ourselves in are so often. Um, So safety, I believe has to come first. No deal is worth your physical safety, your mental well being or your life um so that's kind of the caveat then beyond that real estate is so competitive and so about hustle and it's all about meet the people and then trade real estate with those people you know and if you don't do the deal someone else is going to get the deal and even if you thought you were doing the deal maybe somebody else is doing the deal you know and so it's very hard especially when we have so many messages our whole lives as women in our head and I would argue also for racialized and minoritized people, be the good, you know, be the ideal immigrant, be the, you know, don't be the angry black woman, et cetera, to be pleasant, to smile, to laugh it off, to not cause a commotion, to not be a problem. Don't be that problem agent. Don't be that problem person. Don't be the person that no one wants to work with you. You know, there's that really famous Harvard study where they asked the students to assess this report and everyone assessed the boss who was a male as, um really empowering really strong leader i'd love to work for him and then they did the same report exactly but just changed the name from a male name to a female name and they found you know she was effective at her job but i wouldn't want to work for her she's not very likable she's pushy she's aggressive the b word you know so you're working already uphill against unconscious biases and i think that how everybody deals with that has to be based on their own personal, I mean, when you're the recipient of it, um, your own personal values, preferences, comfort levels, business models. In my case, I think (laughs) that I am such an overtly outspoken feminist that that stops a lot of it at the door before it comes because they know I'm not going to laugh at the joke. I've made that pretty clear. And I I don't think I'm aggressive. I'm a pretty nice person, generally. Um, But when When you're not afraid to, through various actions, through your language, through little tells, you know, in the same way there are little tells that are sexist, there are little tells that say, that's not my mindset. Yeah, I've had buyers reach out to me multiple times saying, I looked at your material online, we're a queer couple, we feel like we'll be safe with you. I'm a straight white woman and they feel safe with me because of the language I'm using and because they know they're not going to have to come into the space where they're made to feel uncomfortable. Yeah. So I do think you can lead with a, with a persona, with a brand. And aside from getting, I actively get business from it. Uh, I'm not saying you should do it to get business, but I mean, I'm saying that yeah. doesn't hurt your business yeah. at the same time. I was, um, my very first client was a friend, business owner, He's a racialized man and we were viewing this property and there was a really racist statue on the property and a different race than his. And we walked past it heading into the backyard and like we were talking so like it's kind of a double take and then, as we walked back out, I was still talking about the yard and they said, and as we walk past this super racist statue. And he said, Oh, I wasn't sure if you were going to say anything. And I thought, too, but then I thought, you know, man, don't say anything. Keep it professional. And I said, I think that's the problem that we're equating professionalism with the status quo and not calling out racist, sexist behaviors and actions. And that we pretend that that's that again, that neutral, it's somehow more professional. And he just looks at me and gives me this high five. He goes, and that's why you're my girl and why I want to (laughs) work with you. And I was like, I had no idea. But and that's not a story but oh I'm so great. It's to say that I think people think they will lose business by naming racism, by saying mm-hmm. that's not funny, by being overtly what their values are. And I believe that yeah, yeah, you will. In the same way that if you specialize in suburban new development, you'll lose business on, you know, a heritage manor. We all have niches that we work to. And the truth is that the majority of Canadians do believe in gender equality, consider themselves not racist and hold those values. So if they experience you espousing those values, and again, I'm not saying you have to give a TED talk, but just you know, casual conversation, your handle, whatever. I think we have to remember we're working with people. And people are already aware of these conversations people already want to do better in these fields, and so we shouldn't assume again that that mysterious neutral client out there. wants to tell sexist jokes wants to laugh at racist things and that when it's directed at you with all of that lead up, I believe it is 100% appropriate to tell the client that's not funny or. Mm -hmm. If you don't want to be that direct, my go-to is asking questions. But it's mm. the, oh, I don't get that. Why is that funny? Hmm. Can you explain that joke to me? Sorry, I, I'm not getting it. Can you explain it? You watch people backpedal when, you, and you can be totally innocent, innocent and non-confrontational. Oh, oh, oh,
1: oh, I, I didn't say that. You said it. I, I don't know.
0: <laughs> exactly. It's like, sorry, why is that? Or how would that be different if it was a man? I don't get it. You know <laughs> So,
1: I mean, I, I, I think good. you just like there's so many things you unpack there that are so relevant like just even down to the point of what you're saying that we align ourselves with our people, so to speak. And I use that with big air quotes, but that (laughs) in itself, um, it's not, it's not the solution to the battle, but it is indicative of, I think, why it's valuable to be who we are and to speak out about what's important to us because it's not going to drive people away. In fact, it might bring people in who otherwise wouldn't have aligned with you, And another interesting thing, just from the story you told about the statue, I think people always equate calling things out as sucking the air out of the room (laughs) and the way you called it out, although it was with someone who was on the same page as you, it was done in such a way that was, you know, it was, it was poking fun at the offensive thing. And that's not the way everybody's going to deal with it. And it might not be everybody's brand or the way they choose to talk about things, but I think it's important that people realize this isn't always about being, you know, Mr. or Mrs. Negative or Dr. Negative. 100%.
0: Uh, When you handle Dr. Negative. Dr. Negative. Dr. No sense of humor. Dr.
1: Dr. Real. Uh, I like
0: that.
1: um, So when people are in these situations, um, I mean, there, there is, I think the answer is there's no right answer because like you said, it does depend on people's mindset, but it kind of seems like a series of forks in the road where, you know, Mm. if something comes up, the first decision is, do I call it out? Do I not? And then once you do, or if you do, what's that response going to be like? And how do you react to the response? Because people may not always take what you're saying as, man, I'm an idiot. I'm sorry, let's move on. people might stick with their story and say, well, that's just how I am. Or I think it's, or I'll tell you why I think it's funny, which is even more offensive, right? So- (laughs) At some point, that decision comes in of like, is this a person I want to continue with? Like, if they're not saying they want to dump you or anything like that, because you have the right idea, and this is, you know, I mean, we're all saying it's the right idea. To them, it's not the right idea. Right. You know, at what point, and again, I guess it's a depends, but like, at what point do we say, this just isn't, this isn't where we should be safety wise, or even just what we continue to Mm -hmm. hear as a bystander or as the subject?
0: I think that is so great to ask because I think that um, I love your description, that it's multiple forks in the road. And as much as yes, I am (laughs) known as a rather outspoken (laughs) opinionated woman, um, especially when I'm talking on the subject. You know what? A lot of people don't know anything about that I even have a Ph.D. or that I work in female empowerment or any of that, like I'm just selling their house and it never really comes up. And so if a joke comes up in that area or whatever, and as you say, someone does double down, I haven't encountered that personally. However, I do not yet know a realtor, even the best of the best, who hasn't at some point had to fire a client or who has been fired by a client, probably both. And maybe it's because they are an impossible person to work with, maybe it's because you just really can't, like what they're looking to buy just really isn't what you do. You know, like there's a thousand different reasons. I believe this is a legitimate reason to fire a client or vice versa, if that feels like the right choice to you, if you're like, okay, this is just, every time I see this dude, it's the racist jokes, it's the sexist, it's the homophobia, it's whatever, you know, I would be so uncomfortable in that environment. And I don't wanna argue with, I'm not here to have a fight. And a lot of the little micro things that I'm kind of referring to in every one of those circumstances it's always a weighing the pros and cons if you're going to call something out why. And in what way and to what purpose, and I really actually am a believer in call in culture not call out culture naming and shaming i'm not a fan of Um, I think that you really I, I really do believe after all of these years that most people want to do good. They want to be a good person. They see themselves as a good person. They they want, no. there are not a lot of people in the world who would tick the boxes. I want to be a racist. I want to be a sexist. But their argument is I'm not a racist. I just think X, Y, Z, right? So at that point, I think you have to decide for yourself, is this someone that I can work with or am I just going to make some money by referring them to a colleague, you know, because I still make some money at the end of the day don't think I'm here, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be the best fit for you in this because my, my visceral like grinding like gritting of my teeth and scowling at you is just, it's going to start wearing on you and me and we're just, you know, <laughs> by the end of it, it could be a wrestling match and I'll win and you'll be embarrassed. So I think it's best we both, you know, go our own ways. But we began all this um, with you, Daniel, asking me about the challenges, but also the opportunities and I actually really th- I think the real estate as an industry is circa 1989 1992 in terms of its progressiveness, <laughs> I really believe that. Um, and it's starting to have conversations that we weren't even through three years ago and again like every area of North American society post George Floyd post posts the um, protests in the States black lives matter all this, I do think people are trying when i say hop on the bandwagon i don't mean that in a negative way i I think people are more aware maybe than they Mm -hmm. once were and frankly after the graves have been found at residential schools the number of people in canada frankly it's about indigenous individuals and indigenous issues and they can have a whole other podcast about what it means to be a realtor buying and selling property that was never ceded (laughs) this is not ceded territory that where i live and work this is not ceded territory so there's a whole other moral conversation to be had there that I won't go into today, but um, mm-hmm. nor is it really my place to do. Um, but that said, the number of people who said to me after that, I didn't know it was that bad. I didn't mm-hmm. really get it before. And there's been a like a quantifiable shift. So I think we can ride that wave. And at the same time, even before all that, what I see in real estate, the numbers go in both directions for us as women. One there are actually more female agents there than there are male in Canada. However, there are far more male broker of records than there are women. So again, why, why mm-hmm. are we seeing more men as brokers, as the coaches, as the speakers? There are lots of women who do it. <laughs> Katie, I believe you're a broker of record, but, mm-hmm. um, I'm not saying women can't do it or don't do it. I look at the numbers and ask why, why is it yeah. so skewed towards men? Um, when they give the talks and it's like, you know, at 7 a.m., I'm at 5 a.m. I'm at the gym and at 7 a.m. I'm making call- client calls and at 9 a.m. I'm, I'm training and at 7 p.m., I'm like, who drops the kids off for school? Who yeah. picks them up? Who's taking them to soccer practice? Because clearly and a lot of these people have children. So I'm like, it's clearly not you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so. All of that said, real estate, both within the ex- industry and for our clients, has huge potential to empower women. You know, one of my absolute favorite financial gurus, Gail Vaz Oxlade, Toronto, says that no woman should ever have to stay in a relationship because she can't afford to leave. Mm. And anyone who's watched the Maid uh, series on Netflix, you know, about coercive control and about how many, because again, men can be in abusive relationships too, 100%, but women, and I use that term inclusively for people who identify in the female spectrum, are far more disproportionately affected by gender based violence, domestic violence, intimate partner violence, and the number of women I work with who come to me because they're going through a brutal divorce, like bloody brutal divorce or have left an abusive relationship. And they're sorting out the house because it's co owned and they're probably going to sell but maybe she's buying him out but maybe he's buying her out and some of mine have drawn on for years. and they want and their home has been violated either because their spouse was having affairs because it's been a site of abuse because like you know our home can be our sanctuary our home can also be our prison and working with these women and i and i can hold their hand look in their eye and say let's find you your own safe space let's find you a house that no one can ever take away from you again and i'm not talking about the bank i'm talking about a male partner um and the empowerment that comes with women owning their own real estate, their own property. And I'm not just talking about women in harmful relationships. I, I have a wonderful, happy marriage. And I, from what I observe from the outside, you two are in a wonderful, happy marriage. And there's still so much empowerment when women understand their finances, when women invest, when women build wealth or intergenerational wealth and know that no matter what, they can take care of themselves and or their children. And likewise, women in real estate in the industry we work very long hours and we control our own hours. So I'm not going to make that like, people say, Oh yeah, it's a realtor. You know, it's great as a mom because you control your hours. And I'm like, wait, yeah. <laughs> kind of
2: our clients kind of control Yeah. Yeah.
0: But you do get to set the terms of what you want your business to look like. You do get to decide whether it's going to be part-time or full-time. You do have so many opportunities to be financially independent mm-hmm. through buying and selling real estate to open a brokerage, to sit on Treb, you know, Lisa yeah. Patel president of Treb in the last round, um, our own Katie here, you know, um, <laughs> there's so much that you can leverage with yourself as an, as a real estate professional. And likewise for our female clients really any client, but especially for women, because of all of these macro issues, that, and this is what we talked about a lot in your brokerage meeting, was the big picture societal stuff. Real estate doesn't live in a bubble, you know? Mm -hmm. The gender pay gap is real, and it's exacerbated when you add in racialization, religious minority, minoritization. Um, Domestic violence is real. Sexism is real. All of these statistics and Canada ranks in one of the top three countries in the world to live as women, which is great. And I love being Canadian and I'm proud of that, but the bar is pretty friggin' low. So we don't have, you know, new shock, we don't have gender equity yet. And I'm told that all the time, but women are equal in Canada. No, we're not, not yet. Let's talk about the labor differential, the domestic labor load, why? And again, it all just comes down to why, when we look at the numbers, do men so outstrip women in real estate sales? You either believe it's because men are better at real estate inherently, there's something about the Y chromosome or we have structures and systems that hold others back and make it harder for them. Mm-hmm. So within that context, I do think that we have a lot of work to do and a long way to go to bring us to equity. But for the women in real estate, I think, there's, I think the sky's the limit in what we can do within this industry. I think it's extremely exciting.
2: Yeah, it was interesting. I was thinking on the way to the office today, um, the women, and I don't know if you see this in your area, but there's a lot of really strong teams that I've had, Mm. or we've both had the pleasure of getting to know over the last little while. And a lot of them, I just started realizing this are either led by women or, I mean, actually they're mostly led by women and they're surrounded by a lot of strong women. And I was trying to like going back to your whole asking the question, why is that? And I often wonder if our industry is making that transition from, you know, sales, like that hard, those hard skills to more of the relationship. And Mm. that's kind of where the business is going. And, and so I wonder if that, you know, I guess a bit more of the nurturing side, but also the relationship and, and that part of it, that maybe we're I don't, know, I don't know if we're any more natural at it. I don't want to say that, but I just wonder if those aspects that we kind of gravitate towards are helping us and maybe will help us into the future. But it's really inspiring to see these strong women really like making a big splash in, in our profession. And it's it's really nice that it, it's, it seems to be more of a trend lately. Because um, I can't think of, and I know there are male run and male like, you know, uh, a lot of men in a a team. I just can't think of any in in our, at least in our area.
0: I'm seeing a lot more women. I would say there are still more male teams than female. Sorry, Daniel. Really? Okay. That's interesting. Um, However, I agree with what you're saying that the women teams are, the female teams are very strong and strongly led. Um, I think that, I think we're certainly socialized to lean into relationship more nurturing smile, you know all these things. Yeah, um, yeah. And so it'll be interesting. In ten years from now, you know, the general consensus is that real estate is going to be made up of either the churn and burn realtors, and or the high service white glove take care of everything relationship built, and everybody in the middle is just going to, you know, mm, we don't need you yeah. anymore, right? Um, yeah. So it'll be interesting to see if there's a gender divide along those lines. To yeah. Now too, it's very but, true yeah Sorry Daniel, I interrupted you
1: though. It's, no I, I think uh, on that note, I think that's starting now, like even the way that teams are structured, when I see male teams, and this is generalizing, they seem a lot overtly grittier, like they're less approachable from a relationship perspective. <laughs> that's not how they sell themselves because it's just it's not so true It's not the vibe they want to give off. no, it's
2: not the type of person they're trying to attract.
1: No, and I mean yeah. it, it's weird because if I was to start a team, I mean first of all, I'd probably make it a team of more women than men anyway. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I, I don't know how. Like it, to me, that just isn't oh. how the industry oh. should be positioned. Oh, am I freezing? Oh,
0: That's a really no. interesting point. I had to. But you're good. Yeah, it's good. That's a really interesting point that I hadn't given a lot of thought to before. But I, what I've noticed in real estate, my my broad statement I tell everybody is that so far I've observed that real estate draws the absolute best of humanity and the absolute worst of humanity as realtors. Like there doesn't seem to be a whole lot in between. Like they're the best people you'll ever meet who are like, can yeah, give you the shirt off your back true. and the people that it's like, I wouldn't want to have a cup of tea with you. Like, I don't even like talking to you right now. Do you have a soul? Like, where are your morals and your values? And I think that real estate really attracts by its nature, very extroverted people, very outgoing people. And that can lean towards super, I mean, I'm a type A individual, but that super type A... I'm trying really hard not to use offensive terms, but like there's jokes on the real estate feeds for a reason about what those kind of guys, how they dress, what they look like, what they drive, you know, and a lot of them are very good at their business. I'm not denying that. I just don't want to hang out with them ever, please. <laughs> you know, um, and I think of several reality Netflix yeah, shows about uh, what's it selling Long Island, I think. And it's just, they just got slaughtered on Twitter because no one could stand any of them, you know, and yes they were making a lot of money, but Um, But conversely, it draws people who are very warm and love to have conversation and would love to, you know, yeah, let's let's get a meal. Let's talk. Let's have a burger. Let's have a beer, whatever. And I think that you're right that most people, regardless of what's, you know, what sort of social strata you come from. You know, Ryan Serhant said nobody likes being sold to everybody loves shopping with a friend. Mm -hmm. And I think that we're going to need to see more of that. And I think that actually and I'm thinking this, you know, I'm thinking out loud from what you both just said. But I think that is going to help facilitate more female empowerment in the industry, because one of the worst things that we've done as women since the third wave feminism in the 60s and 70s was just adopt the patriarchy, like go into the office and just adopt instead of bringing our own ways of doing things and our own genius and saying you know what you're worth something as a human being regardless of what your gci is you know you you don't need to earn a spot on this earth to exist and removing the toxicity from the uh, hustle culture what opportunity for relation-based people to really lead the way as brokerages. And to say, you know what, just like we're talking about the sexism and the racism and the jokes, clients are people and they don't wanna work with jerks either any more than yeah. other agents do. So they may not know that getting in cause they're just going by the billboard or whatever. But I think that in the long run, I think you're hundred percent right relationship is going to win out. Even in our current business as things are, if you yeah. want a long-term business, you need relationship. It can't just Absolutely. be by the numbers. Yeah, transactional. Yeah. Nobody wants to feel like a transaction or, you know, a notch on your belt. Mm -mm. Yeah.
1: I mean, I, I, yeah, I mean, again, it's, it's like the people we align with, like, I think we're all of a similar mindset in this sense. I, my, my worry, and this isn't, I mean, this is the cynic in me is that there will forever be people who aren't the types of people we want to align with. And I think they will continue to attract people who are like them, who are the types of people (laughs) that we might want to align with. I guess my worry is, or, or, and that's again, the challenge and the opportunity is we want that relationship, our, our people bubble to keep growing and the slow deflation of that other group as people start to realize, hopefully, like I, I agree with you, where this industry and all industry is going is you need more people to be focused on the softer, understanding, asking questions, having conversation, relationship side of things. And as people hopefully continue to realize that's where they want to be, less and less people will align with the folks who just choose not to be like that and are comfortable Mm -hmm. bringing in piles of cash, being not the most savory of individuals. And some of them are great people, I guess. But yeah,
0: (laughs) no, I think that you're completely right. And I think that that's fine. I think that there are still people. That believe that enslavement should be illegal. They're definitely the minority, you know. There are still people that wish Hitler won. They're the minority, thank heavens. You're Mm. always going to have people who believe in, for lack of a better word, the old ways, yeah, the negative old ways. And you're always gonna have sexists, you're always gonna have homophobes, you're always gonna have racists, you're always going to have bigotry and prejudice. The goal Mm. isn't it's not a zero sum goal. What I think is in you know, I was joking before about um in my own business and who I work with. And I've said this before, when I was in the process of getting my license, a male friend, and he didn't say this negatively, he was just making an observation and he was correct. um, I think he said, you are such an outspoken feminist. I worry you're gonna lose business because of it. And I laughed and then I said, I'm fine with that because anyone who doesn't wanna work with me because my work is in gender equity is not someone I wanna work with anyway. And I said, there are tons of agents out there for them to work with, if you want someone who's going to laugh at your sexist, or racist joke, I promise you can find them, and it's not going to be hard. It doesn't have to be. bring up
1: my racist referral just, list.
0: You I've know, got, let me. Got...
1: My... <laughs> sexist, that... I got those. I got those. I got.
0: <laughs> you know, it's funny you say that, but in reality, like some of these really big Facebook groups of realtors, and the three of us belong to a couple of them together. I do take note of people who are defending the racist position, who are defending the sexist position. And I'm thinking like, we've said this all along, everybody knows that these same people say this, it's a small industry, Your reputation is everything. It is. So maybe those are inside thoughts, friend. We don't share those thoughts outside, you yeah. know? So they, they're always going to be there, I agree with you, but that doesn't mean that the industry isn't going to shift. And it shifts from multiple forces when you have society continuing to shift with society saying, you know, a recent poll just, yesterday, day before came out that something like over 72% of Canadians have more favorable views of immigration than they did 10 years ago, like our country is moving in that direction, and hopefully continues to move in that direction. Um, And if you have people who have that different view, okay, congratulations to you, you know, you have the right of personal thought in Canada all these hundreds of thousands of new Canadians coming to the country, maybe not gonna to wanna to work with you, right? And so I think that as society shifts and there are more millennial agents and then Gen Z agents, and I'm not saying the boomers are more sexist than Gen Z, there's just different social mores and different understandings of what's acceptable. We're going to see some of these shifts naturally and organically. And some of it's gonna be brought on us by force, exactly the things we're talking about. people aren't going to need they don't nap. they're not going to need agents in 10 years the way they have because they have iPhones and they have house Sigma and so we have to bring our value to the table we're not you know i'm a big believer in realtors i'm a big believer in hiring us I think we bring a lot to the table. We have to communicate that to people. And if you're going to ride on, look at me, I am so cool. And do you see my watch? And do you see my car? And do you see how I don't wear socks with my shoes? And do you like, I am some hot stuff. You want to work with me, babe? That's not going to convince people who can just, you know, swipe on yeah. their phone. <laughs> so I think we have True. to lean into our value. And that yeah. includes women
2: mm-hmm. and
0: minoritized realtors saying, realizing they are bringing something to the table that's not there already. And so right now, the largest single demographic buying property are single millennial women and our our industry is like clueless to this it's not how the marketing is shaped it's not how the scripts are taught. And so i'm like that's fine you guys keep doing your Mr and Mrs seller, you can work with Mr and Mrs seller i'm going to keep working with a single millennial feminists because. i'm a married (laughs) millennial feminist they're my people they find me I find them and we like working together and makes such a difference. It makes even just
2: your career so much more fulfilling when you can work yes. with people that you enjoy working
0: with rather than being
2: friends. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly.
0: Yeah. I remember you told me, Katie, right around when I got licensed, you said, cause I was talking to you about building this and I was unsure, I'm like, this is who I want to be. And this is who I want to work with, but am I going to like sink my ship before I, you know, <laughs> I sunk my battleship before I even started. Cause now I've got transactions under my belt and I, and I have the numbers to back, like, okay, this works. But at that point I'm looking out on the field going like, I don't know, I don't see a lot of realtors out there like me. And yeah. you told me at the time, and I've never forgotten this. You said that my business would be slower to start off than someone who is just doing a thousand cold calls a day. Well, I guess you can't do a thousand in a day, but you know, <laughs> the, the cold, call, cold call. But you know, the door knocking and not relationship-based, but just you know, um, focused on numbers. And you said you're focusing on building relationships with like-minded women and their partners and and men with similar values and the queer community and so forth and you said it'll take longer to get going but once it gets going it's going to be unstoppable and your clients are going to be fiercely loyal to you and they're going to refer their friends and their sisters and their cousins to you and it's going to build you a business that 10 years from now is rock solid and unshakable versus one that has high numbers in the beginning which is great nothing against that but if it's not built on substance these people aren't loyal to you they don't you're not their people you don't share anything beyond you bought a house together once so that has borne out to be true and i thank you for that advice back then good i'm glad it was the
1: big big finish and you were right and
0: it was a terrible idea (laughs) and i came here today to tell you that
1: and i've got 500 calls i still need to make today now that's
0: right i have to go knock on doors with broken, foot broken right leg now. Uh, the broken leg I'm gonna go door knocking in the rain because you were wrong no yeah complete actually complete opposite I've gotten so many cards gifts offers Aww. of help from my clients when they found that's out I broke amazing. my foot because we have relationship they're friends yeah. now we have shared values you know exactly so. no oh this is amazing honestly we
2: could we're gonna have to do like part two and part three because I think <laughs> um there's it's just really important I think to have these conversations and even if one person listened to this thing all the whole way through first of all let us know if you have but second (laughs) of all like it's just it it's one person at a time just recognizing this and and especially for people that you know for men like if if you're a man and you have listened to this the whole way through we like that's what we need it's it's so Mm -hmm. appreciated and it's just it's looking to what others are having to deal with on a day-to-day basis and, and just be open to how we're all treated and how we're all living our lives. And um, yeah, I just I just think that we need to have, be having more of these conversations, so let's do that.
0: <laughs> There's a, um, she actually writes mostly on Facebook and I really enjoy her posts. And she's actually a Latina woman, but she's read as white and she's an American. Okay. And she talks about the privilege that she, that she experiences white privilege people don't realize that she's Latina. And she says her catchphrase is, I use my white witch privilege all the time. And, mm. you know, vice versa, I carry, or not vice versa, likewise, I carry white witch privilege. We need male witch privilege. To... <laughs> male yeah. witch. That sounds like a sandwich, but <laughs> <laughs> you know it. it is people like my husband and like Daniel and so many amazing, I adore my broker of record, and a lot of the men that I work with in my brokerage who Will come along with me if I'm not comfortable picking up keys from a house, you know. Who understand? Who, or even they don't see it themselves? Listen when I tell them, and they're like, "Oh, okay, got you. Yes, let's let's move forward with this." So, male allies. I'm I'm a huge fan of male allies. They're some of my favorite people. We need you. Yes, <laughs> I'm here. I'm here. That's right. We need it. That's right. We need a male savior. That's it.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> We're 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 plaidists today. It looks like that's. I noticed that
0: you're both in plaid. Yeah, Yeah, I should have worn my plaid. a Plaid privilege. (laughs) Go go
1: go out and lumberjack a bit. We're going to
0: that Canadian. Oh, you said the Canadian uniform. I should have worn denim and plaid. I'm sorry. It's my toque. (laughs)
2: <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks so much, Laura. And if you guys um, have any clients that are looking in the Stratford area, you also do Kitchener-Waterloo, right? I do. Yeah. I moved to Stratford
0: from Kitchener-Waterloo and my kids still go to school there. So yeah, I'm in both worlds. Perfect. So
2: she's your realtor. Make sure you reach out to Laura. Um, she's got a lot, a wealth of knowledge in that area. And um, I hope, we hope to visit you soon. We should come Please by.
0: too Yes. Ah, Wait till the beautiful weather beautiful gets a little area. pretty again. Yeah. Having, yeah. You know, it's ugly midwinter weather right now. Not the pretty Primer. midwinter. Because yeah. we come for our um, winter festival in February. Huh? We basically February? live in Stars Hollow, like Gilmore Girls, Stars Hollow. We have a ton of festivals and like yeah. the Swan Parade in April come join us for the swan. The bagpiper pipes the swans back to the river. So we really Ooh, do live in a fun. magical city. You should come back. That sounds magical. <laughs> right, Awesome. For your kids to see the swans, yeah.
2: They'd love that.
0: Perfect. Well, thanks so
2: much. Thanks and guys. Thanks. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.
0: Level up, level up, level up level up, level up, love up, level
1: up, level up, love up,